0: Chapter Nine, Part Three, of Famous Stories Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines. Famous Stories Every Child Should Know, edited by Hamilton Wright maybe, Chapter Nine, Part Three, The Nurnberg Stove by Louise de la Rame. It was very dark in the closed truck, which had only a little window above the door, and it was crowded and had a strong smell in it from the Russian hides and the hams that were in it, but August was not frightened. He was close to Hirschvogel, and presently he meant to be closer still, for he meant to do nothing less than get inside Hirschvogel itself being a shrewd little boy and having had by great luck two silver groschen in his breeches pocket which he had earned the day before by chopping wood he had bought some bread and sausage at the station of a woman there who knew him and who thought he was going to his uncle joachim's chalet above genba this he had with him and this he ate in the darkness and the lumbering pounding thundering noise which made him giddy "'as never had he been in a train of any kind before. "'Still he ate, having had no breakfast, "'and being a child and half a German, "'and not knowing at all how or when he ever would eat again. "'When he had eaten, not as much as he wanted, "'but as much as he felt was prudent, "'for who could say when he would be able to buy anything more, "'he set to work like a little mouse "'to make a hole in the whites of straw and hay "'which enveloped the stove.' if it had been put in a packing-case he would have been defeated at the onset as it was he gnawed and nibbled and pulled and pushed just as a mouse would have done making his hole where he guessed that the opening of the stove was the opening through which he had so often thrust the big oak logs to feed it no one disturbed him the heavy train went lumbering on and on and he saw nothing at all of the beautiful mountains and shining waters and great forests through which he was being carried he was hard at work getting through the straw and hay and twisted ropes and get through them at last he did and found the door of the stove which he knew so well and which was quite large enough for a child of his age to slip through and it was this which he had counted upon doing slip through he did as he had often done at home for fun and curled himself up there to see if he could anyhow remain during many hours he found that he could air came in through the brass fretwork of the stove and with admirable caution in such a little fellow he leaned out drew the hay and straw together rearranged the ropes so that no one could ever have dreamed a little mouse had been at them then he curled himself up again this time more like a dormouse than anything else and being safe inside his dear hirschvogel and intensely cold he went fast asleep as if he were in his own bed at home with albrecht and christoph on either side of him the train lumbered on stopped often and long as the habit of good's trains is sweeping the snow away with its cow switcher and rumbling through the deep heart of the mountains with its lamps aglow like the eyes of a dog in a night of frost. The train rolled on its heavy, slow fashion, and the child slept soundly for a long while. When he did awake, it was quite dark outside in the land. He could not see, and of course he was in absolute darkness, and for a while he was solely frightened and trembled terribly and sobbed in a quiet, heartbroken fashion, thinking of them all at home. Poor Dorothea! HOW ANXIOUS SHE WOULD BE! HOW SHE WOULD RUN OVER THE TOWN AND WALK UP TO GRANDFATHER'S AT DORF AMPA'S, AND PERHAPS EVEN SEND OVER TO GENBACH, THINKING HE HAD TAKEN REFUGE WITH UNCLE Joachim. HIS CONSCIENCE SMOTE HIM FOR THE SORROW HE MUST EVEN THEN BE CAUSING TO HIS GENTLE SISTER, BUT IT NEVER OCCURRED TO HIM TO TRY AND GO BACK. IF HE ONCE WERE TO LOSE SIGHT OF Hirschvogel, HOW COULD HE EVER HOPE TO FIND IT AGAIN? how could he ever know whither it had gone—north, south, east, or west? The old neighbors had said that the world was small, but August knew at least that it must have a great many places in it, that he had seen himself on the maps on his schoolhouse walls. Almost any other little boy would, I think, have been frightened out of his wits at the position in which he found himself, but August was brave and he had a firm belief that God and Hirschvogel would take care of him. The master potter of Nurnberg was always present to his mind, a kindly, benign, and gracious spirit, dwelling manifestly in that porcelain tower whereof he had been the maker. A droll fancy, you say? But every child with a soul in him has quite as quaint fancies as this one was of August's. So he got over his terror and his sobbing both, though he was so utterly in the dark. He did not feel cramped at all, because the stove was so large, and air he had in plenty as it came through the fretwork running around the top. He was hungry again, and again nibbled with prudence at his loaf and his sausage. He could not at all tell the hour. Every time the train stopped, and he heard the banging, stamping, shouting, and jangling of chains that went on, his heart seemed to jump up into his mouth, if they should find him out. Sometimes porters came and took away this case and the other, a sack here, a bale there, now a big bag, now a dead chamois. Every time the men trampled near him and swore at each other and banged this and that to and fro, he was so frightened that his very breath seemed to stop. When they came to lift the stove out, would they find him? And if they did find him, would they kill him? that was what he kept thinking of all the way all through the dark hours which seemed without end the goods trains are usually very slow and are many days doing what a quick train does in a few hours this one was quicker than most because it was bearing goods to the king of bavaria still it took all the short winter's day and the long winter's night and half another day to go over ground that the mail trains cover in a forenoon it passed great armored kufstein standing across the beautiful and solemn gorge denying the right of way to all the foes of austria it passed twelve hours later after lying by in an out-of-the-way station pretty rosenheim that marks the border of bavaria and here the Nurnberg stove with august inside it was lifted out heedfully and set under a covered way when it was lifted out the boy had hard work to keep in his screams He was tossed to and fro as the men lifted the huge thing, and the earthenware walls of his beloved fire-king were not cushions of down. However, though they swore and grumbled at the weight of it, they never suspected that a living child was inside it, and they carried it out onto the platform and set it down under the roof of the goods shed. There it passed the rest of the night and all the next morning, and August was all the while within it. The winds of early winter sweep bitterly over Rosenheim, and all the vast Bavarian plain was one white sheet of snow. If there had not been whole armies of men at work always clearing the iron rails of the snow, no trains could ever have run at all. Happily for August, the thick wrappings in which the stove was enveloped, and the stoutness of its own make, screened him from the cold, of which else he must have died frozen. He had still some of his loaf, and a little, a very little, of his sausage. What he did begin to suffer from was thirst, and this frightened him almost more than anything else, for Dorothea had read aloud to him one night a story of the tortures some wrecked men had endured, because they could not find any water but the salt sea. It was many hours since he had last taken a drink from a wooden spout of their old pump, which brought them the sparkling ice-cold water of the hills but fortunately for him the stove having been marked and registered as fragile and valuable was not treated quite like a mere bale of goods and the rosenheim station-master who knew its consignees resolved to send it on by a passenger train that would leave there at daybreak and when this train went out in it among piles of luggage belonging to other travelers to vienna prague budapest salzburg was august still undiscovered still doubled up like a mole in the winter under the grass those words fragile and valuable had made the men lift hirschvogel gently and with care he had begun to get used to his prison and a little used to the incessant pounding and jumbling and rattling and shaking with which modern travel is always accompanied though modern invention does deem itself so mightily clever All in the dark he was, and he was terribly thirsty, but he kept feeling the earthenware sides of the Nurnberg giant and saying softly, Take care of me, oh, take care of me, dear Hirschvogel. He did not say, Take me back, for, now that he was fairly out in the world, he wished to see a little of it. He began to think that they must have been all over the world in all this time, that the rolling and roaring and hissing and jangling had been about his ears— Shut up in the dark he began to remember all the tales that had been told in Yule around the fire at his grandfather's good house at Dorf, of gnomes and elves and subterranean terrors, and the Earl King riding on the black horse of night, and, and, and he began to sob and to tremble again, and this time did scream outright. But the steam was screaming itself so loudly that no one, had there been anyone nigh, would have heard him and in another minute or so the train stopped with a jar and a jerk and he in his cage could hear men crying aloud munchen munchen then he knew enough of geography to know that he was in the heart of bavaria he had had an uncle killed in the bayerschevwald by the bavarian forest guards when in the excitement of hunting a black bear he had overpassed the limits of the tyrol frontier that fate of his kinsman a gallant young chamois hunter who had taught him to handle a trigger and load a muzzle, made the very name of Bavaria a terror to August. "'It is Bavaria! It is Bavaria!' he sobbed to the stove. But the stove said nothing to him. It had no fire in it. "'The stove can no more speak without fire than a man can see without light. Give it fire, and it will sing to you, tell tales to you, offer you in return all the sympathy you ask.' "'It is Bavaria!' sobbed August for it is always a name of dread augury to the tyroleans by reason of those bitter struggles and midnight shots and untimely deaths which come from the meetings of yager and hunter in the Bayerische vault but the train stopped munich was reached and august hot and cold by turns and shaking like a little aspen leaf felt himself once more carried out on the shoulders of men rolling along on a truck and finally set down where he knew not. Only he knew he was thirsty, so thirsty, if only he could have reached his hand out and scooped up a little snow. He thought he had been moved on this truck many miles, but in truth the stove had only been taken from the railway station to a shop in the Marion Plots. Fortunately, the stove was always set upright on its four gilded feet, an injunction to that effect having been affixed to its written label and on its gilded feet it stood now in the small dark curiosity-shop of one Hans Wilfer. "'I shall not unpack it until Anton comes,' he heard a man's voice say, and then he heard a key-grate in a lock, and by the unbroken stillness that ensued he concluded he was alone, and ventured to peep through the straw and hay. What he saw was a small square room filled with pots and pans, pictures, carvings, old blue jugs old steel armor shields daggers chinese idols vienna china turkish rugs and all the art lumber and fabricated rubbish of a bric a brac dealers it seemed a wonderful place to him but oh was there one drop of water in it at all that was his single thought for his tongue was parching and his throat fell on fire and his chest began to be dry and choked as with dust "'There was not a drop of water, but there was a lattice window grated, "'and beyond the window was a wide stone ledge covered with snow. "'August cast one look at the locked door, darted out of his hiding-place, "'ran and opened the window, crammed the snow into his mouth again and again, "'and then flew back into the stove, drew the hay and straw over the place he entered by, "'tied the cords, and shut the brass door down on himself. "'He had brought some big icicles in with him.' and by them his thirst was finally, if only temporarily, quenched. Then he sat still in the bottom of the stove, listening intently, wide awake, and once more recovering his natural boldness. The thought of Dorothea kept nipping at his heart and his conscience with a hard squeeze now and then, but he thought to himself, If I can take her back, Hirschvogel, then how pleased she will be, and how little Gilda will clap her hands." He was not at all selfish in his love for Hirschvogel. He wanted it for them all at home quite as much as for himself. There was at at the bottom of his mind a kind of ache of shame that his father, his own father, should have stripped their hearth and sold their honor thus. A robin had been perched upon a stone griffin, sculpted on a house-eve near. August had felt for the crumbs of his loaf in his pocket, and had thrown them to the little birds sitting so easily on the frozen snow. In the darkness where he was he now heard a little song, made faint by the stove-wall and the window-glass that was between him and it, but still distinct and exquisitely sweet. It was the robin, singing after feeding on the crumbs. August, as he heard, burst into tears. He thought of Dorothea, who every morning threw out some grain or some bread on the snow before the church. "'What use is it going there?' she said, "'if we forget the sweetest creatures God has made.' poor dorothea poor good tender much-burdened little soul he thought of her till his tears ran like rain yet it never once occurred to him to dream of going home hirschvogel was here presently the key turned the lock of the door he heard heavy footsteps and the voice of a man who had said to his father you have a little mad dog muzzle him the voice said "Ay, ay. you have called me a fool many times now you shall see what I have gotten for two hundred dirty florins. Pacha, send! Never did you do such a stroke of work. Then the other voice grumbled and swore, and the steps of the two men approached more closely, and the heart of the child went pit-a-pat, pit-a-pat, as a mouse's does when it is on top of a cheese and hears a housemaid's broom sweeping near. They began to strip the stove of its wrappings. That he could tell by the noise they made with the hay and the straw soon they had stripped it wholly that too he knew by the oaths and exclamations of wonder and surprise and rapture which broke from the man who had not seen it before a right royal thing a wonderful and never-to-be-rivaled thing grander than the great stove of hohen salzburg sublime magnificent matchless so the epithets ran on in thick guttural voices diffusing a smell of lager beer so strong as they spoke that it reached august crouching in his stronghold if they should open the door of the stove that was his frantic fear if they should open it it would be all over with him they would drag him out most likely they would kill him he thought as his mother's young brother had been killed in the vault the perspiration rolled off his forehead in his agony but he had control enough over himself to keep quiet and after standing by the Nurnberg master's work for nigh an hour praising marvelling expatiating in the lengthy german tongue the men moved to a little distance and began talking of sums of money and dividend profits of which discourse he could make out no meaning all he could make out was the name of the king the king the king came over very often in their arguments he fancied at times they quarrelled for they swore lustily and their voices rose hoarse and high, but after a while they seemed to pacify each other and agree to something, and were in great glee, and so in these merry spirits came and slapped the luminous sides of stately Hirschvogel and shouted to it, "'Old mumchance, you have brought us rare good luck, to think you were smoking in a silly fool of a salt baker's kitchen all these years.' Then inside the stove August jumped up, with flaming cheeks and clenching hands, and was almost on the point of shouting out to them that they were the thieves and should say no evil of his father, when he remembered just in time that to breathe a word or make a sound was to bring ruin on himself and sever him forever from Hirschvogel. So he kept quite still, and the men barred the shutters of the little lattice and went out by the door, double-locking it after them he had made out from their talk that they were going to show hirschvogel to some great person therefore he kept quite still and dared not move muffled sounds came to him through the shutters from the streets below the rolling of wheels the clanging of church bells the bursts of that military music which is so seldom silent in the streets of munich an hour perhaps passed by sounds of steps on the stairs kept him in perpetual apprehension in the intensity of his anxiety he forgot that he was hungry and many miles away from cheerful old world little hall lying by the clear gray river water with the ramparts of the mountains all round presently the door opened again sharply he could hear the two dealers voices murmuring unctuous words in which honor gratitude and many fine long noble titles played the chief parts the voice of another person more clear and refined than theirs answered them curtly and then, close by the Nurnberg stove and the boy's ears, ejaculated a single Wunderschön. August almost lost his terror for himself in his thrill of pride at his beloved Hirschvogel being thus admired in the great city. He thought the master potter must be glad too. Wunderschön ejaculated the stranger a second time, and then examined the stove in all its parts, reading all its mottoes, gazed long on all its devices it must have been made for the emperor maximilian he said at last and the poor little boy meanwhile within was hugged up into nothing as you children say dreading that every moment that he would open the stove and open it truly he did and examined the brasswork of the door but inside it was so dark that crouching august passed unnoticed screwed up into a ball like a hedgehog as he was the gentleman shut to the door at last without having seen anything strange inside it, and then he talked long and low with the tradesman, and as his accent was different from that which August was used to, the child could distinguish little that he said, except the name of the king and the word "golden" again and again. After a while he went away, one of the dealers accompanied him, one of them lingering behind to bar up the shutters, then this one withdrew again, double-locking the door." The poor little hedgehog uncurled itself and dared to breathe aloud. What time was it? Late in the day, he thought, for to accompany the stranger they had lighted a lamp. He had heard the scratch of the match, and through the brass fretwork had seen the lines of light. He would have to pass the night here, that was certain. He and Hirschvogel were locked in, but at least they were together. If only he could have had something to eat. He thought with a pang— of how at this hour at home they ate the sweet soup sometimes with apples in it from aunt mela's farm orchard and sang together and listened to dorothea's reading of little tales and basked in the glow and delight that had beamed on them from the great nurnberg fire king oh poor poor little gilda what is she doing without the dear hirschvogel he thought poor little gilda she had only now the black iron stove of the ugly little kitchen oh how cruel of father august could not bear to hear the dealer's blame or laugh at his father but he did feel that it had been so so cruel to sell hirschvogel the mere memory of all those long winter evenings when they had all closed around it and roasted chestnuts or crab-apples in it and listened to the howling of the wind and the deep sound of the church bells and tried very much to make each other believe that the wolves still came down from the mountains into the streets of hall and were at that very minute growling at the house-door. All this memory coming on him with the sound of the city bells, and the knowledge that night drew near upon him so completely, being added to his hunger and his fear, so overcame him that he burst out crying for the fiftieth time since he had been inside the stove, and felt that he would starve to death, and wondered dreamily if Hirschvogel would care. Yes, he was sure Hirschvogel would care, had he not decked it all summer long with alpine roses and eidelweiss and heaths and made it sweet with thyme and honeysuckle and great garden lilies? Had he ever forgotten, when Santa Claus came, to make its crown of holly and ivy and wreath it all around? Oh, shelter me, save me, take care of me, he prayed to the old fire king, and forgot, poor little man, that he had come on this wild goose chase northward to save and take care of hirschvogel after a time he dropped asleep as children can do when they weep and little robust hill-born boys must surely do be they where they may it was not very cold in this lumber room it was tightly shut up and very full of things and at the back of it were the hot pipes of an adjacent house where a great deal of fuel was burnt moreover August's clothes were warm ones and his blood was young so he was not cold Though Munich is terribly cold in the nights of December, and he slept on and on, which was a comfort to him, for he forgot his woes and his perils and his hunger for a time. End of Chapter Nine, Part Three. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah.